0: I'm Chelsea Sidaro and you know, I still see myself. It's pretty new to the sport. I'm super curious, and I want to learn from the best.
1: And I am Eric Gilsonen. You know, everyone is a triathlete. They just don't know it yet.
0: Who is your hero in the sport of triathlon?
1: The finish line, whether you're the first finisher or the final finisher, is where all people come together.
0: We're all out there together. That's what I live for. This, this is the Chelsea is and, the Eric,
1: Chelsea and
0: show. Eric Show. <laughs> uh. Welcome to the Chelsea and Eric Show, and welcome to 2021. We are so glad to see the back of 2020, but you know, 2021 is certainly off to a pretty crazy start already. How are you doing, Eric? How were the holidays?
1: It's good. I'm looking in the rearview mirror right now and I see 2020 and it's up there. It's it's gone. Oh, yes. Uh, December was good. Finished strong. Ready to go. Uh, Looking forward to some good races. We're going to have more races in 2021 than we did in 2020. And so, um, yeah, staying positive, swimming, biking, running trying those new hoka shoes and uh having fun out there making friends and uh yeah how about you a uh, good holiday what is going on in your world
0: I had a great holiday with my family we have a nice little bubble so it was really good to spend some time with the people that I love and
2: There you go
0: You know my year is actually going to look a little bit different I have super ambitious goals on the race course with 70.3 worlds and a variety of other events but before I get to that my husband and I are expecting a baby girl in March. No
1: way. Congratulations, congratulations. Thank you so much. The Hoka family keeps growing.
0: It certainly does. We've had quite a few athletes who have welcomed a baby into their family. So it's definitely fun to see to see our Hoka family growing as well.
1: New triathlete.
0: Well, we'll see. We'll see about that.
1: <laughs> Everyone's a triathlete. They just don't know it yet. <laughs> Where have I heard that before?
0: Any events that you're excited about or looking forward to Eric?
1: I'm looking forward to every event I can go to, and I'm ready, and everyone knows that I've told all the people I work with, I'm ready to fly. So it's time to fly, and I'm ready to go. As soon as we get the green light, I'm on.
0: You know, on another note, really looking forward to watching the Olympics this summer. Hoka athlete Alephine Tuliamuk is already qualified for those in the marathon, and she just welcomed a little baby girl into this world, baby Zoe. Yep, Man, what it, talk about mom power. Mom power right there, it'll be really fun to cheer her on, along with Ben Canute, who is vying for the mixed relay triathlon team. He is a new dad, so gosh, I feel like I'm seeing a trend here with all of these new parents coming back to racing and stronger than ever.
1: Swim, bike, run, have fun, change diapers.
0: (laughs) Something like that, yeah. So excited to bring back the Chelsea and Eric show in 2021 we have a ton of exciting guests that we cannot wait to bring on you know so many of the triathletes that make this sport so compelling what about our guest for today eric
1: we have the great sarah crowley from australia originally recorded this at the end of last year she's podiumed twice in conan the last few years won ironmans and ironman 70.3 races all over the world she's a great pro Uh, She's a pro's pro and clearly a contender.
0: Absolutely. And as you know, I actually haven't met Sarah in person, but I did have the privilege of watching her take down that podium position on the Queen K at Kona in 2019. And I so admired her tenacity and grit. And, you know, she's also a former Deloitte accountant. It's really impressive how she's been able to transfer those skills from a super high-level corporate career to her pro triathlon career. So it was really fun for me to pick her brain a little bit, you know, as a newer professional triathlete to hear, you know, how how she makes this career work for her.
1: And now we're going to speak with someone who's been described as sunshine mixed with a little hurricane, Sarah Crowley.
0: Sarah Crowley, welcome to the Chelsea and Eric show. I'm so pleased to meet you for the first time here. I don't think we've crossed paths yet, but thank you so much for joining us and for coming on.
2: Yeah, it's a pleasure. I've been looking forward to coming on and um, yeah, definitely to meet you, Chelsea. I think we might see each other in two weeks, but uh, yeah, it should be should be good to have a chat.
0: Absolutely. So Sarah, this year has been a little bit unconventional. And I know that you are an athlete that really looks forward to the championship big races. You like to show up on the biggest stages and, you know, you haven't quite been able to do that this year. So how have you pivoted? Tell us a little bit about your year, how you've managed this crazy season that we're all in.
2: Yeah, I think um, I started out this year a little different to normal anyway, because I had a... um uh, I guess I had a big four years leading up to this year. And basically at the end of last year, my coach said, we need a little bit extended break. So I didn't actually start properly training until sort of part the way through January. And, um, we went to the Australian Alps for my sort of pre-camp. And whilst I was, uh, isolated in some mountains, (laughs) this disease or virus started spreading the globe. And, um, yeah, for me, uh, initially we were just going to head And do our normal thing head over to Europe in the middle of the year um but obviously with lockdowns and things I went um you know it restricted a lot of the training so for me in Australia we were quite lucky and I could travel up to Noosa and be able to swim at the beach when the pools closed and those sort of things but I guess initially I struggled a little bit with knowing you know what to expect and when racing would start and you know I guess all athletes this year have really struggled with understanding you know when to peak and when to start that preparation I think that's something that for me has been a bit challenging because like you say I do like the championship races and each one of those builds on the next one so you know when you come to the main race of the year you've had that stepped up process um, and so I guess I was lucky enough to then be able to race Cairns and Malulaba Ironman and 70.3 however for me I mean it was off like kind of eight weeks of training so I guess we're getting into it now, Um, but once again, next year seems a little bit of a mystery. So you get used to the, uh, um, I guess, the awkward feeling of it, really. I think we've become a little bit used to that.
0: Absolutely, and I, I do think that, you know, we like to be so regimented and to be able to plan ahead, but at the same time, we're triathletes and you have to be able to adapt on the fly and so perhaps a test of our resilience and flexibility. I'm wondering, have there been any kind of like silver linings to this year? Maybe anything that you wouldn't have been able to do or experience during kind of a normal season?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for me, I'm, I've am i been in the sport for quite a long time, and so um, – you know, for one thing I've experienced winter back to back constantly this year, which is different for me. I stayed it for the Australian winter and then I've come over to the U S and it's winter again. And usually we chase summer. So it's a bit of a novelty and I know that that's something that I won't get again if we return to normal next year. So that's been really amazing. And, you know, being able to actually see snow and those kind of things. Um, and then I guess, yeah, just sort of looking at, you know, how my brand is looked at and perceived this year has been a big thing for that. And, um, Yeah, Dale and I have been working really hard on bringing my brand up to a a newer level and creating um, more interesting content um, that people want to see. So those sort of things where you start to go, well, as an athlete, I'm not an influencer, but as an athlete, I influence. And so, um, and using the, I guess, the notoriety or whatever that you do have to then be able to, I guess, um, find other ways to to market yourself um, because- at the end of the day people have things that they want to sell still and people are still exercising and um there's other ways you can show the use of those products to people and so we've kind of expanded what i can do in that sense and it's definitely something that's pretty cool for the future which i would definitely have not had time for should i have been racing full full gas this year so i think that's been really cool um Yeah. And I guess more swimming. I've done quite a lot of swimming this year. So hopefully I've stepped my swimming up a little bit. We've sort of focused on building up those areas that aren't as strong, Um, you know, with a a big block of that, that's helped a lot too. So yeah, there are always things that, you, you know, can take away from, take away from any situation, I guess.
1: Talk about that. Your social media, you're a pro's pro. You make it hard for the other pros because your standards are so high and what you've done with Dale. And, uh, you know, your website's awesome. And on your website, uh, one of the things I took away from was a quote sunshine mixed with a little hurricane. What does that mean? I love it. Uh, At least yeah. I think so
2: I yeah. Well, I guess I guess I'm an accountant so it's a little bit conservative. Yet yeah, I race triathlon full time, which is a bit edgy and you know, most of the things I do are a little bit like that. Um I can be quite serious, yet I'm playful. So, um even down to my haircut, I guess. So yeah, I think um, it just sort of sums me up, I think. Um, You know, I'm pretty relaxed when it comes to racing and everything, but when it comes down to the the detail of everything that I do and the way I approach my job, I'm very serious about it. And yeah, so I think that quote just sums me up.
0: (laughs) That's awesome. So you go by Sarah Stan Crowley. (laughs) We're trying to know where the Stan comes from.
2: So um, at a pool in Brisbane, the Valley pool, it's not It's not that colorful a story, but I'm at the Valley pool and I was working full time. I used to be in a red dog tri club, a local tri club, and I'd rush to get down to the pool every day after work to swim. Um, obviously I got a pool pass, except for they, <laughs> they wrote my name as Stanley Crowling and um, it just stuck. So therefore everyone in the squad always called me Stan. StanDroid, Stan and Ada, all these things. And so pretty much after that, every age group athlete in Brisbane knows me as Stan. <laughs> it's stuck. It's stuck. Australia nicknames stick.
0: <laughs> I know. I feel like the nicknames and the lingo in Australia is really quite unique.
2: Yeah. Most names end in you just add an O or an E or a Y, and then that becomes your nickname normally, but not always. <laughs> Demo, you yeah, know, lots of uh, them down the road. Those things, Crowley, <laughs> Crowley, yeah.
1: yeah. So um, <laughs> you're originally uh, from Adelaide, uh, South Australia, and uh, what was it like to be growing up the youngest of three? Uh, your brothers Simon and Matt. Uh, what was their influence uh, on your competitive nature? What was that like?
2: Well, I was the youngest, so for me, I was competitive because if I wanted to use anything or eat anything or <laughs> be a part of anything I had to fight for it so I think um and I was probably mum doesn't want to hear this but I'll, all she knows I was bullied by them a lot um but it made me strong so um look in Australia we've this really amazing environment where everyone well in the era that I grew up where Australia was a powerhouse in sport I think most kids and most people respected athletes so much and everyone wanted to be a part of participate in most sports. And so for me growing up, I played a lot of different sports. Um And I think it's why, yeah, I think it's why we're so competitive is that, you know, everyone was part of everything and it was the culture. Um Yeah. So for me, I think in the end, I fell on endurance sport mostly because I was responsible for my actions and uh after playing a few team sports for a while and I'm left-handed and I'm not, I didn't always get the positions and things that I'd want to play. Um, and so after a while, I was just like wanted to take responsibility for it. And so I, I've, in the end, fell on endurance sport, which I had done swimming and riding and running as a kid. But uh, I think, yeah, not in, in not in anywhere near the amount of volume and things that you need to be a professional athlete. But I think it just turned out that it, it was something that I quite enjoyed.
1: Nice. Now that you're older, have you uh, made them pay for your uh, the past?
2: Uh, I'm not sure. I don't think so. I think they still, <laughs> I'm still the little sister. I'm still, <laughs> yeah. Once the little
1: sister, always the
0: little yeah. sister. Yeah. <laughs> when you were getting into running and biking and swimming as a kid, did you think or dream of being a professional athlete in
2: any of those? Uh, not really in the individual sports. I mean, I, I think running, I started running at high school and I think I've run since I was 12 years old and done a lot of it, but we were never put under any pressure to, um, race or run real fast. Like it was just volume. I just trained. And it was, I think I'm grateful for that now because I've got the years of running in the legs where I would, I didn't have any injuries early on and stuff. So I think, um, yeah. Like, I mean, I, I, I think you always want to be a sports star in your head when you're a kid because it's cool, but I didn't ever anticipate that at all. Um, definitely not swimming.
1: <laughs> what was your first triathlon like? And when you were in that race and across that finish line, did it click, hey, this is my thing? Or uh, when did that happen? What was your first race like?
2: Yeah. So I raced in Adelaide for the first time as Olympic distance event. And uh, and I just really enjoyed it because it, it, you're fully, res- like I said, you're fully responsible for the outcome. And I think you get this little itch that you could always do a bit better. And, um, I was lucky. I was a part of a group that had a really good structure to the training. Like, um, even though it was mostly age group athletes, we did have two athletes that were on what was called the Accenture series in Australia, which was quite a popular, um, yes. short course series at the time. The two twins, they were cool. Um, And I think, yeah, we just had that environment where it was about really good quality training um, and it was definitely not fluffy training or anything. And so I guess I walked away going, well, if I continue doing what I'm doing, then I can improve. And I quite liked the idea that, yeah, once again, I'm responsible for that. And so the more effort you put in, the the better return you get, I guess.
0: Did you love that first triathlon? What do you think was the like beyond just kind of feeling responsible and ownership over your performance, what was the kind of appeal for you to keep on pursuing that?
2: Um, I quite, well, I mean, I guess you get encouraged in age group triathlon at the time I was about 18 or 19 or something. And I guess in that environment, people encourage you with so much. So the, I guess the community surrounding the triathlon I think is really fun too. So, um, you know, you're always encouraged to come back on Monday and, and be part of it. The, um, I guess the group environment, which I really enjoyed. Um, I think as well, it was a good escape from my work. So um, I just started in an accounting firm and it's quite intense. And so what I've noticed over the years of working was that every time the workload and, and, the, and the study and everything got more and more intense, I trained harder <laughs> as an outlet. Um, and so I think it gave me that sort of outlet where I was sort of in my own head and could think and, and everything else um what I wanted to um whilst exercising
0: sure and sounds like you already had the at least the pieces in place with all three sports um that's yeah quite the foundation to start with
2: I think nowadays like with triathlon I think Back then, and I I know in in the US you guys do it, is you still sort of take people sideways from running that have got a bit of a swimming background or swimmers that have got a bit of a running background. I think that's a really good way to do it. I know in Australia now and across the world, people are developing juniors, and I think it's really difficult to – it's kind of a sport where, you know, you grow up doing a lot of different sport and then you train hard at triathlon later as its own sport. You know, I'm I'm not convinced that bringing juniors through – as triathletes is that's my personal opinion anyway
0: yeah it's an interesting conundrum just specializing in sport in the first place right Mm. if that's you know the recipe for success or disaster down Mm. the road but it seems like it was successful for you
2: yeah I mean I was lucky to be part of talent programs and everything else once people sort of knew that I could run and I was just unrefined (laughs) is how you'd call it
1: One of those talent programs was back in July of 2008, and you were chosen the only woman uh, to race and represent Australia in the Young Guns Tour of Asia. Uh, What was that experience like to get out and race in Asia? And uh, talk about those races. Were any of them breakthroughs or turning points?
2: Yeah, so I guess um, I got to the point with racing, sort of age group. I raced in the age group World Championships in Hamburg in 2007. And if you look at the finish list of that race in my age category, you'll see people like Camilla Pedersen, Annie Haag, <laughs> um, a few others. Anyway, we I did this race. It was very competitive. <laughs> anyway, I walked away and thought, well, perhaps I could do better. Um I actually performed quite well in the open age category at the Noosa Tri. And I was like, I need to race professionally. But coming from Adelaide, we just didn't have the – it's not just the coaching. I thought the coaching was quite good. It's the guidance through the system into these races and how then to step into the, you know, further through into long course. So I did the um yeah, I did I got selected in the young guns as part of that I moved up to Queensland and trained in the Queensland Academy of Sport and um I raced in couple of races in Asia and yeah I guess it was the first one I did I raced I won. Um but once again it was off of uh quite a weak swim. Um I just ran through the field and then um it was a breakthrough people started to notice you then and then you obviously get on the points list and you can start collecting points to race World Cup and everything else. Um and then after that we went directly down to um that was in Japan. We went to Singapore Uh, and it was a test event I think for the Beijing Olympics so it was quite hot but I got the opportunity to travel and race with some of our Olympic athletes for Beijing like um, Courtney Atkinson and Emma Moffat and so for me I learned a lot from them even in that just that trip Um, even some of the younger people that were younger than me like Josh Amberger at the time Um, and so yeah I think you know it was a great learning experience it was probably my first introduction into what it's like to travel and race as a professional. And I'm super grateful for having that experience now because I just draw on even those experiences from then, even now. I think everything you learn, you kind of learn on top of the last thing you learn. So um, yeah, I was really grateful. And I guess in the Singapore race, it was like super, super hot and people were passing out everywhere. And I guess for me, it was probably like, wow, I actually can race under, it was like something to note for later that I could cope really well with heat. Which has since been, I guess, a strength of mine, as you know, from Hawaii and stuff.
1: And you ran yourself through that as well?
2: Yeah, yeah. I was just relying on my run. Did you say
1: hello to everybody as you went by or (laughs) did you just go by?
2: No one was talking. It was too hot. (laughs) Okay.
0: Yeah. So, you know, later in 2008, you got your first podium in NUSA and you proceeded to, I think, compete on the World Cup Series and um, like the World Championship Series but then you stepped away from sport for a little while did you plan to come back to long course or were you just kind of checking out and launching your
2: corporate career well um so to when i before i left to go do the short course racing i gave my workplace at deloitte like a uh notice that i'd be away for a couple of years and they were super super supportive. They, uh, you know, they were just fine. You go do that, and you keep your continuous service. You keep your job, and you come back when you're ready. Um, but I got injured at the back end of of that time, um, and at the same time, I'm getting a notice saying when are you coming back. And it was like, oh gosh, I got to make a decision here. It's it's financially like when you're racing and you're not winning at the World Series level. It's it's not really super uh you know easy to get by and so i think it was kind of that decision it's like well i got this job sitting there that i can happily take or and i'm injured so it's sort of very um lucrative kind of decision to make and i i guess it wasn't easy i didn't because you're kind of giving up on your dreams too because that whole point was to try and make london olympics or something and you know you're getting there you're like ranked in the top 25 on the world series on the you know ITU, ITU points list and you're thinking you're making it but in the reality i sat down and i'm like my swim is just not at the level and until i can address that it's not really going to be something that i can um you know catch up in anytime soon and so i went back to work but at the same time it didn't mean i didn't stop i straight away i mean i enjoy trading so i joined the red dog tri club um and kept that social kind of thing going because um i think it's yeah it's a brilliant outlet while you're working. Um, But I did participate in a stack of running races and also a lot of, um, I raced a three, maybe three of the national road series cycling in the the Deloitte had its own cycling team at the national level. So that was pretty fun. Yeah, it was super fun. Um, I learned that I didn't want to be a cyclist, but I did gain skills from that and experience racing cycling tours that built my strength up. And what I needed to do, um, I guess I learned what I needed to be to race middle distance triathlon. And I kind of was able to manage that working, um, for a number of years. So yeah, that was kind of the next thing.
0: Right. And still developing those skill sets at a fairly high level. I think that's a really, not that it was necessarily planned to launch this, what has become an incredible and successful long course career, but, you know, I think it's worth considering how maybe focusing on those areas even though you were already a good runner even though you were already a good cyclist but immersing yourself in kind of a competitive cycling environment perhaps took you to the next level uh when you decided to take on 70.3
2: yeah I mean I guess it was sort of something interesting to do it kept me in sport and I think I do look. I have this argument with my brother all the time, and I'm always like, "Oh, I wish I just went straight to long course and my current coach." When he he even suggested it just after I uh, was about to go back to work, he's like, "Oh, I know a coach, and I think we can fix your swim." And and uh, and I was like, "Oh no, Cam, it's fine. I'll just go back to work, but I will get a pro license and I'll keep racing while I'm while I'm back at work." But and so I joke with my brother, and we always argue about, "Oh, I wish I went straight away," and he's like, "I don't know if you'd still be racing now." if you did that. So he sort of, my brother's of the opinion that that just bit of time to sort of just take yourself away from it, which is kind of what this year is a bit like. It's sort of, if you don't take it as seriously, and I've got that experience doing that, where I sort of, you let things go a little bit and, you know, you kind of just step back a little bit and then you get to build that up again. Um I think that time was really good for me for that.
0: Totally. Especially, as we're seeing female athletes extend their careers longer and longer into their late 30s and early 40s, even the possibilities of what we're capable of are totally expanding for how long our careers can be. And I, I think I've noticed with a lot of endurance athletes, whether it be triathletes or runners, you see sometimes these women take a a big break in their careers to Pursue another job or have a family or whatever, and they come back and they're just crushing souls, you know, in their late thirties. Mm. And so, I think I don't a lot think of it breaks, th- yeah.
2: Go ahead. It's all enthusiasm a lot of the time, you know. If you lose the the passion to do it, then you're sort of just going around, right? So, I think some of these little break times they're really good for that and find rejuvenating why you want to do it and realizing you know, how you love it and everything and the the feeling of success with it all and everything else. I think sometimes if you're constantly in this level or this state of performance and and everything else, it kind of, you know, it's not sustainable. Um, And so some of these little breaks I think are quite good for that.
1: And it certainly seemed to work for you because when you did uh, get back into triathlon in 2012, you landed on the podium for a win in cons, 70.3. You know, what was it like to be back into the sport and winning after taking a break? Uh, did it feel different?
2: Um, yeah, you know what? Like all of the events that I participated in between about 2011 and I guess 2016, I I didn't feel like a professional. Um, and I, it's funny because I'd run into people like um, Annabelle Luxford and Liz Blatchford and they were always um, super fascinated and curious by how I was managing work in corporate finance and then trying to turn up to these these races and and participate and I the whole time I wasn't I knew I was under capacity when it came to training like I knew I wasn't i had pretty much adopted what I thought was an ITU training scenario and training methodology into long course and it's probably not the best thing like I didn't have any idea what a long course training even looked like and um so I was just getting by really and so every time i I mean, I was obviously proud of myself for um, my performances in those events. But, um, yeah, it wasn't – I knew I had more and I had more – I was capable of more. But it was around the timing of that and my work um, at the time that I guess meant that I couldn't give everything. Um, Yeah. I didn't actually ever know if I'd go full-time again. I think that was just – it was a little bit of escapism from my work environment at the same time as it just, things just fell into place in 2016. Mm.
0: Yeah. You know, we're going to get into that, Sarah. Many of our listeners, they juggle careers and full time jobs as well, but they also are ambitious and triathlon. And as we've discussed, you're a chartered accountant. You worked for Deloitte. I believe you were working as the director of corporate finance which sounds like a really big job. And you still managed to get 15th at Kona in 2016. So when did you pivot to full-time athlete again and what went into that decision?
2: Um, Well, I guess... In Australia, we went through like a mining boom in like the 2012, 13, 14. So I was working super duper hard on like really big projects. Um, yeah, my role is was in for those out there that know accounting. I managed the transaction services part of of a sale of a of a company. I was probably right managed like sort of mid medium medium sized jobs. Um, and yeah, often that would mean that I'm responsible for the report, which would be used for the bank or a company to bid for a, for a company, so it was quite important. um But I guess for me, it just got too much. I was too focused on the work, and it was quite destructive. Almost like I was trying to train to escape the work, and then you end up not sleeping. And yeah, I just wasn't enjoying myself at all. Um, and I, I guess. Because I was capable of performing, I think that's probably what led me to train so hard, um, which I think is a conundrum for a lot of people working. Um, And it's important now I try and always remind people that it's super important that triathlon is used as something that is healthy and as, as an outlet as opposed to something that becomes like too much, like going longer and going Further and and trying to be faster and better is not always the best solution. Sometimes it's nice to just be able to be fit enough that you can pick up a bike and go and do a triathlon, uh, an Olympic distance on the weekend, but you don't have to feel like, oh, I've got to do an Ironman because, you know, my validity as as a triathlete in the sport is about an Ironman. Like it seems to be the way. It's like, oh, I haven't done the long one yet, you know, and I just don't think that's necessarily practical for every job. But, yeah, look, for me, in the end of 2015, I won the Australian Duathlon Championship. Uh, Oh, maybe it was – I then raced – no, in 2014, I won the Australian Duathlon Championship, and then I raced the World Championship, which was in Adelaide. Um, I got completely killed by Emma Pallant. She killed it. Um, And then I tried to race a Malaysian Ironman two weeks later, and then I went – I think I raced in – maybe a racing career at a half and won that or something like two weeks after that. And I was just all over the place. And I thought it's time I actually get a coach and I need to decide what I'm actually going to do with this. Um, and I guess for me as well, the work was like seriously epic at the time. And I was just like, I think I was kind of wanted to just do something different for a change. And I'd worked so hard for so long financially, I could do it. Um, and my current coach, Cam, what he was returning from having. So when I, last spoke to him I was finishing long course uh, short course triathlon and he then went off into directing a cycling team um and he was coming back to coaching and so we had a meeting and yeah it just felt like it was the right thing to do he was the right coach for me we knew each other already um and his strength is swimming and so we we were, we went to work addressing my swim pretty much um right from the start of 2016
0: you know i think Actually, our I think our listeners would really love to hear a bit more about your coach, Cam Watt, and his training philosophy and, and why it's worked so well for you.
2: Yeah, well, I guess um, a little bit more about Cam was an athlete back in the day. I think I first met him actually when I moved up to Queensland. I trained with him a little bit with Caroline Stefan, and um, David Dello um, doing some open water swim training. My coach at the time thought that, perhaps if I joined in with them, they could, I could pick up a few tips. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I mean, he's, he he was probably sort of like quite a good athlete um, in his own right, but where his real skill is, is his, his observation. And um, as a coach, he's very, he's really brilliant at picking up nuances about different people and the way their body works. And, you know, he's not always looking for a cookie cutter solution as to how to fix a problem. He kind of thinks about it a bit more and and comes up with something that helps the athlete as an individual. And so, I mean, I wasn't aware of that. I just had noticed that he was coaching a few athletes on the side while he was, uh, while he was, um, the director of the cycling team and, and they were going really well, more than I ever expected they were capable of. And I was like, well, maybe he is actually quite a good coach and getting to know Cam more. Yeah. You know that he's gone and sat on pool deck with, you know, some of Australia's greatest swim coaches and observed, um, you know, perhaps sat there and they've said, what do you think about this swimmer? And, you know, he's then given that feedback and he, he even spends time now with some of his friends, you know, trying to, um, I guess, you know, uh, understand each other's coaching styles and everything else. So I think his skill as a coach is is pretty amazing. Um, and so I guess, yeah, when it comes down to his philosophy, I guess broadly in triathlon, it's like a tri subtle approach because his mentor is is Brett Sutton who coached him. Um, But then I guess as an individual with his coaching, he's very much about, yeah, the individual athlete and what they need to improve. And that's really helped me so much um, over the last three or four years. It's been a slow process of change, but uh, worth it in the long run. Who at 30 odd years age changes their swim stroke? I mean, it's unheard of, right? But we did it.
1: (laughs) Awesome. So, you know, you mentioned Cam and you're a strong believer in team. Uh, as I know Chelsea is as well. Aside from Cam, um, who else is on your team and um, how are they, you know, helping you and pivotal to your success?
2: Yeah, well, I guess, I mean, so I guess this year, I mean, Dale Travers, he's my videographer and photographer, and we've worked really hard on my PR this year. Um, And I think this year with the environment that we're in, it's been, uh, you know, like critical because you have to stay current. And, you know, a lot of One thing I learned early days of triathlon was people, I was watching it with age groupers. They're only in the sport for two to three years sometimes. And so every two or three years you're forgetting who the last, and you could even ask people now who's Emma Snowzell and they probably don't know who she is and she's an Olympic gold medalist. Um, And so I think um, trying to stay current when there's no racing is is a real challenge. And so we've put a lot of work into that this year. Um, You know, I guess – it's providing structure and a process around how we do it. Um, And, you know, that kind of taking it off my plate um, so that I can focus on my training and everything else has been like super important to me. Um, Yeah, I mean, as well, we're not just looking at it from uh, directly marketing as well. It's kind of in community involvement and just building my personal brand as well. So like, I guess... um, you know, doing things like social rides or, or charity events and, and everything else, um, which I've just never been able to manage that myself. Um, and I know there's other athletes that probably feel that that's, you know, it's kind of overwhelming and uh, where do you even start? Um, but I think putting process and structure around it just makes it, it just takes it off the table and it's not something you have to then worry about. Um, yeah. And I mean, with my background in business as well, I think it's worked out really well. It's definitely, um, you know i can see ways that we can make you know i guess i can come up with ideas and everything else as well and it's good to be able to then operationalize those and see them go off and see what happens so yeah i guess that's been really an interesting thing this year and it's definitely i think gonna definitely be awesome once i get to start racing uh and capitalize on all the work we've been doing um i think it's it's quite exciting And then of course you have your support crew of people. Like I have trusted people that I use obviously for, and I think that's something kind of important that I've learned over the years is I've pretty much always had the same physio and the same doctor and the same masseuse and the same people that you trust. Um, and that those people are people that your coach is happy that you see. Um, I know from when I first met up with Cameron, he's like reducing the amount of people that influence my day, um, was a key, was a key thing for him. Um, And so I guess to have people that, you know, uh, provide you with the right amount of advice, but then also acknowledge the coach's involvement in everything you do is, is really important. Sarah, I
0: listened to several interviews with you while I was getting ready for our chat today, and I really enjoyed hearing how confident you are and how motivated you are, even after all that you've done. To take your performances to a whole nother level, and I'm I'm curious where do where do you think that confidence comes from?
2: I actually, uh, well, I always kind of think of this. I think um, I've always I've always had an underlying sense that everything's going to be okay, and so I know that because I've worked so hard in the past, and everything. If you put the work in, you seem to get the result, and so I feel like the confidence is just driven off of so many past demonstrations of that happening (laughs) that, um, yeah, I know that if I keep putting all the processes in place and, you know, you might lose a few things and things don't go your way. Right. But eventually if you just keep following the process, all the study pays off, all the work at work pays off, all the training pays off. Um, and it's just that consistency application to the process, doing it as you're prescribed that, uh, always sort of turns into at some point a result. And so I feel like yeah you just have, I just have unyielding faith in that.
0: Yeah, that's such a such a great point. I think in this era of social media and instant gratification, so many people want the results yesterday. And when you're in endurance sports long enough, you realize that that's not how how things work. And maybe you'll have disappointments and successes along the way but to ultimately kind of reap the rewards of all that work it takes a long time but also a lot of faith that it will pay off eventually
2: yeah and i, I mean across across my career there's been times where i've put time frames on things it's like oh if i'm not doing this by this age and i've had this many years in this then i must um, i'm not going to be good enough or whatever, but then I've come to realize that it's such a long journey in triathlon. And I walk myself back to some of the times where I've had those thoughts in my head and you're like, why, like, you know, you get an injury in your late thirties or your mid thirties. And it, it's literally like, you think of one when you're 27 and it's the end of the world and it's just not. Um, and so a lot of the people I train with now, they're in their t- early twenties and they think it's the end of the world. You've got like fifteen years of your career ahead of you. It's not even a thing. Um, and so I mean, you only learn that with experience, but you kind of wish you had that knowledge when you were younger. Um, maybe I would have this is the same argument I have with my brother all the time. Um, <laughs> you know, maybe I would have switched a long course earlier if you know, if I'd sort of had a different perspective. but yeah, it's definitely a long process, and the, it does pay off in the in the end.
1: But trusting the process as you have, do you feel that your mental game has changed uh, since your early days in triathlon with the experience you've gained?
2: Well, I have a lot more knowledge now as well. It's sort of—I think I didn't know what I didn't know back then. There were so many things like I didn't know anything. Um, in a sense that I think I've opened my eyes over the last five years to just everything from the tech of the bike, you know, to using different equipment for different things to heel drop on your shoe to you know cadence when you're running all these things that you when you're younger in your career you don't even understand them um as you get more experience you understand a lot more of the variables and so i think when you know you've put all the pieces of the puzzle together and you're in form you know what the level is you know that you've got all these other stuff that's put away you you've performed at the level so that when you're actually training at that level you know you're going to get at least this result um all of those things build the confidence that that you can get the outcome or that you you know you're trying to achieve.
0: What do you think are a couple of the areas where you still have some room to improve, or what are the little maybe projects that you will be working on in this next portion of your career to really, yeah, take yourself to the next level?
2: Well, I guess one thing that's frustrated me that I keep bringing it up over and over again is I definitely have not had the run that I'm capable of in an Ironman. It's so frustrating for me because I look back at all my ITU running and my um, even just running without a bike um, and I know I'm capable of so much more. Um, And so we got quite close last year. But then once again, we've gone away and we've focused on, I guess for me now, I mean, as you short course folks move into long course, the swim is going to be more important again. And so we've kind of focused a bit more on that this year. Um, but I guess, yeah, there's probably a little bit more in the run and I'm not sure if that's going to come at the expense of possibly a bike block actually to be stronger bike rider to be capable of running faster or whether we literally just need to run more or run differently. Um, But, yeah, it's definitely something that I'm excited about. Um, I remember in 2017, Greg Welsh interviewed me at the end of the the Ironman, and it was like the first thing I said, I know know what I need to do. I just need to go back. I need to get this run quicker. I'm capable of so much more. And I I still feel like I haven't achieved that, and that's something that I think I'll continue to try and scratch that for the next few years until I can walk away and going, that was the race. Um, Yeah, I think I still need to find that.
0: I think a lot of our listeners will be inspired hearing you say that, that even someone who's finished on the podium at Kona as many times as you have still has an area that they haven't perfected. They still haven't had the perfect race or the, the race of their life. And so to hear that you're still searching and striving for that one great, perfect day is pretty cool to hear considering what you've achieved.
2: I think, um, yeah, and it's something, I guess, Cam drummed into me early. You can't be racing to beat a certain person or to get to a, you know, to kind of, I want to win this race or I want to beat this person. A lot of people race with that. You hear them talking about the star list and the this and the that. And you're just like, it's not about that. It's about your personal performance and reaching a level. And I think once you get rid of all of that kind of noise around because at some point you will get to the top and then what motivates you, right? Like if you win, like look at Daniella; she's won Hawaii and everything else, nine-time world champion, you know, and she keeps coming back. And I think that's because she's intrinsically motivated by her personal performance. And so I think it's something definitely to keep in mind and it doesn't matter if you're, what level you're at, it still hurts the same to train as hard as we do. Um, no matter if you're going, X fast or Y fast, it doesn't matter. It's it's all about your personal performance and your personal level and I guess striving to achieve your, what you're most capable of.
1: You served on the board of triathlon in Australia from 2014 to 2017, and you've worked continuously on women's initiatives in triathlon and in you know sports in general. Um, what is your proudest accomplishment as an athlete? And also what is your proudest accomplishment in the corporate world.
2: Oh wow! <laughs> I'll start with in the corporate world. So there's a few things there, but I, I was a Deloitte Businesswoman of the Year in 2006. It's a long time ago, but that was because of my work-life balance and bringing that kind of culture into the office that you can still exercise and train and everything else, and um, you know perform really well um, in your job, and that people should prioritize their health and well-being, um, and you know. Although work is, does come first when you're working, it's kind of important to stay fit and healthy and have a healthy life around that. And I guess it was more the way that I was managing the whole scenario of working and, and you know, I guess you had to see it to understand it, but it's just com- around communication and everything else. Um, it's, it, I don't know if it's my most proudest thing. I have a really random proud thing, but when I finished up in 2016, I had been – uh, mentoring a guy from Mumbai, his name is Ashutosh. He was my – he. so what would happen is when I was working on reports, he actually helped me to become a triathlete, basically. So what would happen is when I finished work to go swimming at 6, he would pick up my report and he would work on it overnight and then I would get it in the morning and we'd keep it going, right? And he was only a junior level, um, so I got him to do a lot of tasks for me. But I always pick the same person because I figured – They didn't like that. They wanted you to share it around with the office in Mumbai. But I was like, I want the same guy because I don't think that it's fair to put – you wouldn't get a senior analyst and move if they were sitting next to you and get a new one the next day. You'd teach someone to do what you do. So I taught him over a couple of years, and then I got him a Comet for six months in London. And then after um, he spent his six months in London, he came back to Mumbai, and I had him working on a few more jobs. By then he was a manager. And then I was thinking of leaving and we needed a person to replace me. So then I got him a five-year visa. And then within like a month, he was sitting in my desk uh, in Brisbane. So I feel like that's one of my greatest like achievements because it was like such a long time and process and we didn't really know where it would lead. But in the end, I got Ashutosh a job in Australia. And I think he's, yeah, he's thrilled. So.
1: Yeah, you made a positive impact on his life for sure, buddy. Well done.
2: Uh, I know it was cool, right? So, um, and it left my boss knowing that the work would be done in safe hands because he, he, by the time he he was like one of our team by the end anyway. Even though he was on the phone, he was we all knew him. So, um,
1: and so you were training him in sixteen, and you worked all the way until
2: July. Pretty much, I think. Yeah, I know I was working on some a really big job in March that year. Still, so yeah, it was so, um. Yeah, that was kind of like, I guess. And then I guess in sport, I don't know. um, Being able to re-engineer myself into different um, distances and stay in the sport is a pretty big achievement for me, I think. Yeah, I think just even just that, I think that's one of the things I'm proud of. I guess getting the swim up and changing my swim is a huge life achievement as well.
1: And your best years are still ahead of you. I know it. Mm -hmm.
0: I love that so much. I think that the athletes who manage to stay professionals for as long as you have. They they know how to reinvent themselves and they know how to adapt as the competition changes and elevates and they welcome that challenge and that opportunity to reinvent. Mm. Who, uh, Sarah, are your heroes in triathlon in our sport?
2: Well, I guess initially it would be, I guess, Emma Snowsville back in the day. I mean, like that we all wanted to be like Emma. She was so such a good athlete, but such, she conducted herself in such a brilliant way. And I think that I'm going to pick Australian athletes here because I'm Australian. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I guess on top of that, you would look at probably someone like um, Craig Alexander, who's similarly just a lovely guy um, and conducts himself in such a professional way. I think he's a brilliant um, person to look up to as well as, yeah, I guess Rini as well, you know, like Rini was the groundbreaker for us. Um, and so, yeah, just, and you know what? Like Rini amazing. She would tell you anything. I talk to her a lot on the messenger and stuff and she's like mentors me a little bit. And I think um something that's probably lacking in the sport a little bit is having those relationships between like the people as they go through. Um, it's definitely something that maybe existed 10 years ago but it's not really as prevalent these days. Um, but I really appreciate it. So they're probably the top three for me.
1: Talking about Kona, uh, we'd love to hear about the uh, battle of the run. Uh, you were third <laughs> in 2019. What was it like coming out of the uh, energy labs in the last 5K um, You know, in Kona getting that third spot?
2: Yeah, well, I mean, I didn't really... I just chipped away at it. I knew I was running super well that year. Um, I went in probably like really fit. Um, and... I got a little carried away. I mean, to give you an example of how exhausted you are, I remember I splashed water in my face and I got it inside my contact lenses and I couldn't see for a few minutes and I was so delusional and I was like, oh my goodness. You actually had a moment there where you realized how fatigued you are and how absolutely ridiculous it is to be running as fast as we run in the conditions that we're running after the bike and everything else. And so yeah, like uh, anyway, the water dissipated and I just kept running and I saw Annie pass Lucy in the energy lab and I I realized it was actually within reach. Um, and so, yeah, I guess I just kept going, but then I was kind of like, I think I was drawn too much to Lucy as opposed to concentrating on my own race. Uh, I was concentrating on my own race, but it's hard not to get excited by the fact that you could catch someone else and get further up the podium. And so I guess I got drawn to that a little bit. Um, and then at maybe at 35 kilometers, I reached down and I'd like maybe should have just had one more gel in my pocket uh, and there wasn't one. Um, I did have some like sort of energy chews in my back pocket, but they just don't have the same rev. Um, and I fig- I don't know. I mean, you can look at it the- at being that or you can look at it being I was running at 257 marathon pace and, uh, you know, Lucy was running at 308 and she's had that time to recuperate after being passed by Annie. So when I caught her and slowed down to 259 pace, um, she could have that, you know, resurgence of energy, I guess, because she'd been sort of just surviving. Um, so yeah, you can look at it different ways, I guess, just, you know, she was faster on the day in the end. Um, but by gosh, it motivates you to get after it again, um, when you know you're capable of. And really that day, there were chances for all three of us to have won that race. Like. Annie could have been dropped on the bike quite easily after Harvey, uh, after Kawaii, sorry, inbound. There was a moment there where it stretched out. And, uh, you know, equally, I guess if you put in that scenario without Annie out in front, it's like, well, has that changed how you're thinking in that moment uh, as well? So I guess – and then, you know, obviously then Lucy's in front as well if Annie never was there. So, you know, to be at that level is – you don't need to change anything of what we're doing right now. It's just a repeat performance and the opportunity. Um and then, you know, you can take advantage of it.
0: Motivates me just hearing you talk about it. I don't know if people realize how dynamic an Ironman race is right now in the pro women's field. You mm. know, it's not like um uh, <laughs> just It's you're not out a time trial trailing on your mm. own. <laughs> not at all these athletes are across all three disciplines just they're racing the whole time they're out there
2: yeah like I had people sort of say oh you didn't pass her right I'm like well you try and pass someone right at the 37 kilometer mark in a nine hour race at 40 degree temperature off a tarmac road it's like of course it's not I of course I wanted to surge past Lucy um it's, you know, it, you're really pushing the human limits. And I think now with super fast swimmers, strong bike packs, uh, quick runners in the strong bike pack, it's becoming way more tactical, um, you know, down to who you start the swim with and, and all that sort of jazz. And, and also, I guess even, you know, the wind conditions and always fit up and pretty much everything really. So yeah. What is it going to take you to land the top spot
0: in Kona, do you think?
2: Mm. Um, I think a repeat performance, but maybe me being a little bit more tactical when it comes to like the bike and perhaps when, you know, a Daniela Blymill pushes real hard off the front of the bike, it's backing up with a second blow to drop off some of the other runners because I, I do have a strength on the bike and it's probably what does take the edge off my run a little bit. But I do have the capability of actually putting some damage down on the bike, and I think that's probably one area where last year I just missed an opportunity um, where I could have pushed again when when that ha- that scenario came to be, and it would have strung it out. And then those people are isolated, and then they're a couple of minutes behind, and they're working on their own into the headwind coming in. It's it's a different dynamic then. Um, more running as well, run faster.
0: <laughs> yeah well we love to see all those see those wheels turning already <laughs> yes
1: your intellect is part of your great al- athleticism Absolutely. awesome
0: sarah we've got a couple quick fire questions to finish yes, up with do. here do Eric, it i'll let you take it away
1: yep what is your favorite mantra what's your favorite saying
2: oh uh if you have one. Oh. I don't really have one. I go pretty blank okay. when I'm in a. That's
1: <laughs> your
0: favorite journey?
2: In what sense?
0: The world is your oyster.
2: I love travel. So pretty much anywhere I can go. <laughs> Triathlon journey.
1: <laughs> favorite sound? What is your favorite sound?
2: Well, these are quite strange. Um, <laughs> um, oh, cracking open a can of soft drink. There you go. Cold Bev. Fizzy Bev. Yep.
0: <laughs> Sarah, you get one style of hokas to wear for the rest of your life. Just one style. Okay. What do you choose?
2: Oh, I, well, I've really loved the Rocket X. I've been obsessed with them lately. Me too. But can I have them in like a cool white only with maybe a gold decal? That I be... bet you they could arrange something. You for, you. for you? Sure. <laughs>
1: First thing you want to do when COVID is over?
2: Potty? Dance? Nice.
1: All
0: right. Last one Who has the most arrow haircut in the women's pro field?
2: oh well i would say i do but at the moment you can't see this but it's actually grown out a bit so i need a trim but i i don't feel like i don't feel like i'm at the level yet where i'll take advantage of the arrow haircut so i'm just holding off because i want those gains later when i need them fair (laughs) enough rachel mcbride's pretty hairy.
0: (laughs) i love it sarah crowley thank you so much for joining us on the chelsea and eric show it's been such a privilege getting to know you and getting to have this chat. And we'll be cheering you on over the next few weeks and beyond. Pleasure.
1: Thank you, Sarah. That was great. Intellect and thoughtfulness. Those are my first two takeaways from Sarah Crowley. What do you think?
0: Absolutely. What a pleasure to chat with Sarah. I. I'm so impressed by her candor and honesty and really willingness to share a lot of aspects and facets of her journey with us.
1: Yeah, she's a pro's pro and uh, she really puts it together uh, all the way around. And what a great story in uh, helping her uh, train a coworker. I thought she was talking about training an athlete, but then it turns out to be something more important when she was in the corporate world and making such a huge impact on that person's life. That was great.
0: From my perspective, it seems like she's aspiring to make that same impact on our sport. And I'm really looking forward to seeing how she progresses over the next few years. You know, she's she's been in the game for, I think, 18 plus years now and still has massive ambitions to take her game to the next level. So I'm really excited to see where she goes from here. And I hope that you all enjoy this conversation as much as we did
1: please subscribe to the chelsea and eric show
0: brought to you by hoka one one and iron man